Thanks for tuning in to the Harvest Springs Weekly Podcast. Every week we'll provide you with the weekend message from our Sunday service. Good morning, Harvest Springs family. It's so good to be here with each and every one of you. And I'm always amazed at how God allows us to come together in freedom and love to worship Him and to connect with one another. So I want to thank you guys for being here as we continue on in our series in the wilderness and the lessons that God teaches us in the wilderness. So as you experience so far, this series has a somewhat heavy tone to it. And the man that we're going to look at today, Job, has an especially hard walk in the wilderness. So before we get started today with my message, I thought I'd try to bring a little bit of levity to the situation. So Job is considered one of the books of wisdom in the Bible. And it is our hope today to gain a little bit of wisdom as we walk with Job for his story this morning. But I do have a quick story on wisdom. So there was a student and a teacher. Teacher asked the student, which would you rather have, wisdom or wealth? The student's like, that's easy. I'll take wealth. Student, our teacher looks back at him and shakes his head. He's like, no, that's, that's not a good choice. I would choose wisdom. And to that, the student replied, well, that's okay, sir. We have to choose what we don't have. So I have neither wisdom nor wealth, so I'm going to choose both. And I think that's wisdom, don't you guys think? All right. So as I just mentioned today, we're going to look at the life of Job and walk through his journey in the wilderness together. So the story of Job is one of the best-known stories in the Bible, yet it is one of the least understood. And in the words of Winston Churchill, who once described the Soviet Union as a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside of an enigma, say that 20 times, so too is Job with deep, perplexing issues of life wrapped within its many chapters and verses. And when examining the book as a whole, we see that it is very unique in its writing style and storytelling. And although we can't be completely sure of who authored the book of Job, we can extrapolate from the text that the story took took place sometime during the time of the patriarchs and before Moses. The story paints a picture of a family clan organization that would have been consistent with the time of Abraham. And we see in the text that Job actually offers sacrifices for his family, which seems to reflect the time before the Exodus, when God appoints priests to carry out that function. So now that we have established the potential time frame of the story, let's walk through Job's journey in the wilderness. So Job consists of 42 long chapters, and we got about a half an hour to get through that whole story, so I'm only going to be picking select passages throughout Job to read to you this morning. And I'd like to start at the very beginning and read the first chapter of Job to get context about what we're going to journey into. So if you'd like to open your Bibles with me to Job chapter 1, let's read this together. It says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. And his sons would go and feast in their houses each on his appointed day and would send and invite their sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of fasting or feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. 
Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, where, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and from on the earth and walking back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. A messenger came from Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabians raided them and took them away, indeed they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burnt up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away, and yes, killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness, struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head. He fell to the ground in worship, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the book of Job and the lessons that you're going to teach us this morning. I pray, Father God, that you would speak through me your truth, and that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us this morning. And we thank you so much for being here. I pray that you are pleased with everything that we do. And it's in your awesome name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, so I've titled my sermon this morning, It Comes with the Job. And it's a little bit of a play on words. It comes with the job. But we all go through a wilderness experience at some point in our lives, and it comes with the job that we call life. And as we can see from this passage of Scripture, we're given a small glimpse into the heavenly realms and God's conversation with his divine counsel. We're also told that there was one called the accuser who shows up to this meeting. Now, there's some, some debate as to whether this is the one we have come to know as Satan or the serpent. But when looking at the, te the text, the Hebrew text, we see the term used here is the Satan or ha, Satan. And that simply means the accuser or opponent. So this could very well be just one of the divine council members of God whose job it is to oppose or accuse, somewhat like a prosecuting attorney who questions humanity's loyalties. But in any case, this angelic entity was there and given permission by God to execute an attack on Job and his family. And when we look at the dialogue between God and Satan, we see that God is 100% in control. God does not bring the calamity, but he does allow it in this scenario. And that's important to know because as we'll see later on in the story, one of the lessons that Job learns is that God is 100% in control. 
So as we look back at Job 1, there are a couple of verses at the end of the chapter that set up one of the first lessons that God teaches us about Job and his wilderness journey. And that is this, that God is still worthy of our worship in the wilderness. Look with me once again at Job 1.20. Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground, and he worshiped. Notice the posture in his heart and his mind as he responds to his situation. He falls to the ground and worships. He comes to the Lord humbly and with a contrite heart. And what do we know about God and coming before him with a humble heart? Well, we find that answer in James 4.10 where it says this, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. There is a powerful lesson to be learned about being humble and contrite before God. It is a virtue that God highly values because it shows complete and total reliance upon him. And it's a character that Job had in abundance. As we continue on in Job 1, 21 and 22, we read, And he said, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Once again, we see Job praising God and blessing his name. Continuing on in verse 22, it says, And all this Job did not sin or toward God with wrong. So right away when we walk with Job through his sorrow, we see that Job praises God and does not blame God for any wrong done in his life. Job held true to his faith in God, and he didn't allow his circumstances to destroy his trust and faith in God. In fact, he takes it even one step further. And in Job 2, 9 and 10, we see a dialogue between him and his wife. In the verse 9, it says this. It says, Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? Shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So as we walk in the wilderness, we need to not lose sight of the hope and faith that we have in God. One of the ways that we do that is by coming before him with humble and contrite hearts. And what does it say? It says he will lift us up. This is a very powerful action to live out in our wilderness. So as we move on in the story, starting in chapter 3, the scene now shifts to Job and his three friends who come to comfort him in his hour of need. And in chapter 3 of Job, we see Job open up about his situation, and he actually laments the very day that he was born. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But for the next 28 chapters, there is dialogue between Job and his friends. And we could read all 28 chapters, but I am on vacation in two weeks, so I'm going to summarize those for now. But I would encourage you guys to go back and read all of Job. It's an amazing story, and I think you'll get a ton out of it. So as you read through those chapters, one message will become very apparent with his three, three friends, and that is this, that they all believe in the traditional theory of retribution, that God punishes the sinner and rewards the righteous, and that Job must have committed some grave sin to fall in such a horrible wilderness experience. So that brings me to the second lesson that God teaches us in Job, and that's this. It's not always sin that leads us into the wilderness. However, that's what Job's three friends believed about his situation. And we can see this most clearly demonstrated when his friend Eliphaz says this in Job 4, 7 through 8. Remember now, whoever perished being innocent 
Or where were the upright ever cut off? Even as I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. In essence, his friends were saying, you have sinned greatly before God, and now you are being punished for your sin. But we know, and Job knew, that was not the case. And this message gave absolutely no comfort to Job. One of the common misconceptions about being in the wilderness of our life is we must have done something wrong. We must have failed in some capacity in our walk with God. Otherwise, we wouldn't find ourselves in the situation that we're in. Now, don't get me wrong. At times, we can get ourselves in a pickle by the, by the decisions and actions and sin that we do. But that is not the case every time. There are other reasons for the wilderness to show up on our doorstep. One of the first reasons is this. We live in a fallen, cursed world, and no one is exempt from trials. In John 16, God makes a simple yet very profound statement when he says this. He says, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. And that trouble or tribulation sometimes has nothing to do with how good we are or how good our life is or how bad we are or how bad our life is. God goes on to say in Matthew 5, 45, he says he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. You see, we fall into the wilderness at times in our lives simply because we are caught in a fallen, cursed world. and Sometimes trouble just comes knocking. But we also learn from the book of Job that there are deeper reasons for suffering and going through the wilderness than just sin and living in a fallen world. So the second reason we get caught in the wilderness sometimes is this. God has a grander purpose for our lives in the wilderness. Look with me at Psalm 115.3 for a moment. It says this, it says, But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. God is absolutely sovereign. And he can use even the wicked things done on this earth for his purpose and for our good. And I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but it is the absolute reality of who God is. And it ultimately shows us that God will do as he pleases, but he doesn't do it just because he can. He does it for specific purposes and specific outcomes. He will do it for the glory of his throne and for the goodness of his people. That's us. And sometimes in order to refine us and take us to a deeper place with him, we must go through the fire. We must be purified at times in our life, just as gold is purified through fire. Gold is put into the fire to extract the impurities that are attached to it. And once done, you are left with a beautiful gold shiny bar. And likewise, in our lives, God can and will use the wilderness experience to extract impurities from our lives and leave us in a pure state of gold. And this verse comes to life in that analogy when God says this in Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. It says, he has sent me, meaning Jesus, to give them beauty for ashes. And out of the ashes of the refining process, God can turn it into something beautiful. In fact, Job sat in a pile of ashes during his trial. And we read in Job 2, 8, it says, and he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. And we'll find out in a moment that beauty came back into Job's life 
despite the ashes that he sat in. So if you feel like your life has become an ash heap of trouble, just know that God sees it all and will turn it into fine gold someday. So take comfort in the fact that God can and will use your troubles for your good and for his purposes. Now let's turn back to Job's friends for just a moment. They were convinced that Job's situation had to be from some grave sin in his life. And the comfort they tried to offer him was no comfort at all. In fact, Job felt he had to defend himself against his friends. So this brings me to a point in the story that I was actually going to take out of my sermon, but God kept pressing me to keep it in. So I kept it in. And it is a big part of Job's story. And I feel God wants us as the church to be better leaders in the area of offering grace and comfort to a hurting world. That brings me to the third lesson that Job's wilderness experience teaches us. That's this. How can I be the hands and feet of Jesus to those struggling in the wilderness? As we think about Job's friends and how they tried to comfort him in his trials, we are given a glimpse on some things that we should do and some things that we shouldn't do. One of the things that they did do right was to simply be present in his trouble. It says in the scriptures that for seven days they sat in silent solitude with Job. And I think those moments offered Job more comfort than any words they could have ever spoken. They were simply there to show their love and support for him. And it's a way that we can help others through their wilderness to simply be there and lend a shoulder to cry on. We're not always going to have answers for others, but we can always give comfort and support in their hour of need, pointing them back to God's word and interceding for them in Jesus' name. In Job's story, he felt so powerless, his faith was so shaken, his confidence was so shattered that he didn't know how to proceed or even approach God. But we can help carry people to God during their time of weakness through simply being there and praying and interceding for them. On the flip side, where they felt short was in their rebuke for Job and the sins that they were sure that he committed. They believed that's why he was suffering and it was due to some shortcoming in Job's life and some grave sin. And instead of offering comfort, they actually brought condemnation in his life. We don't want to make the same mistake, make things worse for others by speaking out wrong words in their situation. We need to be gracious with our words and thoughts during someone else's trial. Because as we see with Job's friends, this approach brought no comfort to Job and it will bring no comfort to our family, friends, and neighbors in their hour of need. That's not to say if we're aware of some sin in someone's life that we shouldn't lovingly point that out to them. In fact, Galatians 6.1 reminds us of that fact with these words. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But just to, just to assume that someone is caught in the trial because of sin and then pointing that sin out to them is no way to show God's love. In fact, Job's friends did such a poor job of comforting him that we read this response from Job to his friends in Job 16.2. says, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. So let's not be miserable comforters to others in their time in the wilderness. But let's lead the way as the church body and show the world how to love others in their time of need. All right. So at this point, Job is feeling very chastised and rebuked by his friends. And not only does it not bring comfort, like I said, it actually contributes 
to his detrimental mindset at this point in the story. And as the conversation continues with his friends, Job speaks from his heart and reveals things that I think all of us feel when walking through the wilderness. He points out evidence from the world that the wicked often prosper and the righteous often suffer. And it leads to a point in his life that he actually laments the very day that he was born. So we need to guard our thoughts and our mindset when walking through hardship. So the next major lesson that God teaches us through Job is this. Don't get caught with the wrong mindset in the wilderness. As we learned from Michael last week, we can all fall into utter despair, as Elijah did and as Job did in his story. And we know this by what Job said in Job 6, 8 through 13. It says, oh, that I might have my request, that God would grant my desire. I wish he would crush me. I wish he would reach out his hand and kill me. At least I can take comfort in this. Despite the pain, I have not denied the words of the Holy One. But I don't have the strength to endure. I have nothing to live for. Do I have the strength of a stone? Is my body made of bronze? No, I am utterly helpless without any chance of success. Have you ever felt that way in your storm? Have you ever said, Lord, you promised to not push me beyond what I could bear? And we are way beyond that point now. But the reality is, is that God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows what we can take. He knew how much Job could take. And he had a reason for allowing, he has a reason for allowing us to walk in the wilderness sometimes. Now, I'm not sure if any of you have had this thought, but it has crossed my mind many times during my hour of suffering and sorrow. And I've asked why the wicked seem to prosper and the righteous seem to suffer. And I've told God that. I'm way beyond what I can handle, way beyond the limits of what I can bear. And I've even actually questioned God and why he brought me into this world. And that thought was actually on my mind just recently. So as many of you know, I recently had to have open heart surgery and I was born with a defective aortic valve, created an aortic aneurysm in my heart. About five months ago, I went in and to check it out and they told me basically that I was on life support, and that I needed to get into surgery ASAP. I sat there stunned a bit, thinking that I was way too young for this to happen to me, that I might not make it through the surgery. I had a friend that went through a similar surgery, and she never woke up on the operating table. So needless to say, my heart and my mind went into a tailspin, and I was thrust into a wilderness experience that came on very suddenly. And though not to the extent of Job's experience, I too wanted answers like Job, and I felt like I don't deserve this to happen to me. All I've ever done, though not perfectly, was to try to love God and love others. And I began to think that God was casting me aside and abandoning me, that he was done dealing with me, and that I was not a part of his plan anymore. I let the enemy take me to a place of great depression and self-doubt. Yet through this experience, I also realized the many blessings that God had already done for me and how I didn't even deserve those up to this point. And I became very grateful for the life that he had given me and the love that he'd let me share with him and so many others on this earth. And as I was reading through Job for this study, I saw Satan accuse Job of only worshiping God because of the great blessings and protection that he got from God. And his assertion that people only worship God because they receive blessings from him. And I realized this God 
not worthy of worship and the blessings, and when those blessings are taken away? Can we still worship God through our storms? And I think as we learned earlier, one of the lessons the book of Job teaches us is that absolutely yes, God is worthy of worship in the good times and in the bad. And Job faced his sorrow with such great humility and praise for God. And if he could do that in such extreme pain in his life, I surely could do that in mine. So growing up, our family was good friends with a pastor on the reservation. And she had pastored a church there for over 30 years. And she had gone through many trials and wilderness experiences over that time. And I just remember her always smiling and saying this one phrase every time she would walk into the wilderness. And she would say this. She would say, well, praise the Lord anyway. She would say it all the time. And I was, it always affected me because she had such a great attitude during her trials. But I know for me, I can get caught up in my own circumstances sometimes and lose sight of that truth. And wanting to die or lamenting the very day that we were born can be a damaging mindset to have during your wilderness experience. Because it can lead us down an even darker path of sorrow. That's not a healthy place for anybody to be. So we must not allow the enemy to bring us down even further and exacerbate our current situation by lamenting the very day that we were born. But instead, by humbling ourselves and worshiping God through the storm and holding on to his promise to never leave us, to never forsake us, can we walk with confidence through the wilderness to the other side? So as we come to the end of Job's story, Starting in chapter 38, another voice begins to speak. And it's the voice of God. God finally speaks and answers Job, but not with specific answers to his questions. But rather, he asks a series of questions of Job that were intended to remind him the fact that God is infinitely powerful, 100% in control, and that his thoughts and ways are higher than Job's and higher than ours. And in the last few chapters, of Job, God answers Job's honest, heartfelt questions by saying this, and I'm paraphrasing some here, but it says, he said, listen, brace yourself. I scooped out the oceans. I piled up the mountains. I bring the stars in place, and I set the earth on its course. I can bring rich, proud men to their knees, and I can crush the wicked where they stand. Are you able to think like me, reason like me, plan the course of time like me? Job's response to that was this. Surely I spoke of things I don't understand. And as I read through God's response, I was reminded of a quote by C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia when he summed up who God is in less than 10 words. So in that story, Susan is talking to the beavers and they say, Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He's the king, I tell you. The lion of the tribe of Judah is not safe, but he is good. All we have to do is look around on our earth to see that evidence. There are volcanoes, violent windstorms, dangerous oceans, and large bobcats and grizzlies roaming through our woods. Bobcats will especially eat your lunch like they do grizzlies all the time. 
but we can easily see that we live in a very dangerous place here on earth. But it is also very good and amazing. There are beautiful waterfalls and breathtaking mountain peaks, colorful wildflowers dancing in the meadows. It is a good and beautiful place. And God created it all, and he's with us through it all. So now we come to the very end of Job's story. And God does something that completely blows Job and his friends away. And isn't it just like God to do more than we could ever ask or ever imagine? And he answers Job with a rebuke in the after he answers Job with a rebuke in the whirlwind. He begins a restoration process in him that pales in comparison to his former glory. This brings me to my last and final lesson from Job, which is this. God can restore us in the wilderness. In the very end, after hearing from God, Job realizes that when you're going through the trials of the wilderness, what matters most is who you know in the situation, not what you know. You or I may not have complete knowledge of the why, but you do know who is with you through it all. And you know he knows, and that's all you need to know. That is a tongue twister of truth. So don't get discouraged when you seek answers and you don't always find them. God may not always give you the reason for a hard time in your life, but do remember that he is right there with you, holding you fast, secure, and steady through it all. I'm always encouraged by the changeless nature of Christ. And in Hebrews 13, 5 through 6, it says this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may say boldly, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? At the end of Job's wilderness journey, he came to the point of increased intimacy with God. And he became content with knowing that God was with him during his suffering. And he was no longer obsessed with having to know why he suffered. This was important because just having the answer to our why questions will not restore us. But having the answer to the who question will restore us. And the who in our wilderness is Jesus. He is the one who has come so that we may have life and life more abundantly. Job experienced this in his life as we read in Job 42, 12, and 13. It says, Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. And I love how James 5.11 relates this story to his readers when he says this. He says, Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Amen? The end of Job's life finds him twice as prosperous as before. He was restored in the wilderness. And although we may not experience a double restoration in our lives like Job, we can know that God will use, will restore us in some capacity that is for our good in our lives and in our souls. We need to remember that God is full of compassion and he is merciful. God's character does not change. God's goodness is not greater when our circumstances are better and lesser when we are suffering. He always has compassion for his people in their suffering, and he always has mercy for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
just remember that life is a journey. The Bible relates it to a race, but it's not a 100-yard dash. It is a 26-mile marathon. There will be easy stretches, and there will be heartbreak hills. There will be people who will stand by your side when you're hurting, and there will be those that want you to trip and fall. But we've got to keep on running. Because we know that the end is better than the beginning. And we can say what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. It says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but to also to all who have loved his appearing. I could have every head bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to call out the band and have them play for a moment. And I'd like you to pray and contemplate a few thoughts about Job and your own wilderness experience. So as the band starts to play, I have a few questions to ask you. The first one is this. If you currently find yourself in the wilderness today, will you ask God to deepen your trust and relationship with him? Will you worship God and have a contrite heart before him in the wilderness of your life? Will you allow God to refine you and live out the grander purpose that he has for you in the wilderness of your life? Will you be the hands and feet of Jesus by comforting others in their wilderness? Will you keep the right mindset and not allow the enemy to bring you down even further in your wilderness? And lastly, will you trust in the goodness of God and allow him to restore you in the wilderness? I want you to take just a, a moment to contemplate those thoughts and then I'm going to close this in prayer. Father, we thank you for the lessons that you've taught us through Job. We thank you, Father, that you never leave us, you never forsake us, that you are compassionate and merciful through our wilderness. And if there's anyone here that is going through a wilderness time in their life, I pray that you would remind them that you never leave us, you never forsake us, and that you are there holding them fast and steady through it all. Lord, I pray that you would refine us and that we would come before you with humble and contrite hearts, Lord God. Despite our circumstances, we would come before you with love because we love you no matter what. And I pray that you would show us in our hearts and in our minds how we can better love others in their wilderness experience as well. And Lord, ultimately, we know that you restore us. And get us through to the other side 
I pray that you would remind each of us about that fact today. You never leave us. You are always there. Lord, we love you today. We love your word. We love the goodness that you give to us. We love everything about you. So we just worship you this morning. We want to let you know that we love you. It's in your awesome and mighty name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to the Harvest Springs podcast. Our hope is that you hear the truth of God's word and that you are encouraged and challenged by it. If you would like to take your faith journey to the next level, check out the Getting Started plan on our mobile app or our website, harvestsprings.com. The Getting Started plan is a seven-day video-based teaching that will help you start your relationship with Jesus off in the right direction. And if there's anything that we can do to help, just fill out a connection card on our website or on the mobile app.